1: The Bob Seska Show. Bob Seska! Oh yes, I hate this. It is revolting. More? Please. The Bob Seska Show. From our nation's capital, it is Wednesday, January 12, 2022, and this is the interview edition of the Bob Seska Show on the Sexy Liberal Podcast Network. Hi, I'm Bob. Hello, Bob. Hello. Day 358 of the Biden-Harris administration, 300 days until the 22 midterms. Find me on Instagram at TheBobSeska and on Twitter at BobSeska underscore go. All right, Brian Karam is back on the show today. His third appearance so far, Brian, I swear to God, Brian is the real deal. He's a legitimate, hard-nosed, no-bullshit journalist. As you may know, he used to report for Playboy, facing off against Trump at the White House for four years, and now he's got my old job, writing a weekly column for Salon, I'll try not to be jealous. Still covering the White House, by the way, and a whole lot more. His new book is called Free the Press, The Death of American Journalism and How to Revive It. It's an outstanding look at some press history, tracking why we are where we are right now, how best to fix journalism as we stare down the barrel of authoritarian fascism, disinformation, the diminished role of local news, and more. Seriously, if you want an inside look at how reporters cover what they cover— this is an essential volume to dig into. Link in the description under this episode at bobseska.com. All right, hang on to your socks. Here comes my talk with Brian Karam. The Bob Seska
0: Show!
1: Holy shit, what happened at Playboy?
2: Oh, they went down. Yeah. Can I tell you, after... They just—they're uh, marketing.
1: Is it just a marketing thing? Like they couldn't sell the uh, the news and editorial?
2: Uh, I think they preferred to take a uh, an approach that was more marketing than editorial, and they didn't put money into the editorial department. And so they they closed it. They concentrate—they're uh, concentrating on selling the brand.
1: Ah, that old yarn. Great.
2: Yeah, I, I was a last man standing. I'll tell you that.
1: <laughs> yeah, you really were. But you were standing and you were also um, calling a lot of attention to what was going on during the previous administration to your own detriment in, in some cases, right?
2: Yeah, correct. Yeah. But now it's uh, so I write a weekly column for Salon. So it's
1: ah. you know, I'm, I'm,
2: I'm still there.
1: Yeah. So you're doing a uh, more editorial type stuff. Are you doing some straight on reporting over there?
2: Uh, just my weekly column, yeah. um, for them. And then, you know, if I want to do something else, I will, but I I'm fine just writing a weekly column right now. Cause I'm, uh, this book's coming out and I got another book I'm working on with Michael Cohen. So it's, I'm, I'm a little busy.
1: Hey, wow. How did that happen? Michael Cohen, huh?
2: Yeah. he, he called me up and they asked me to be a part of it. So I said, yeah, I'll give it a whirl. Had you guys met before? Um, I, I only online, I've yeah. never met him personally.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And certainly he's got a lot to say and a lot of, uh, shall we say, retained information that I'd love to uh, know about. <laughs> love to know I, more I think about.
2: He, I think he's was used. I don't think he has all that dark information that everybody thinks he has. I think he was uh, used and abused by Trump like everybody else. I think the keeper of all the Trump information is Trump himself. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Why do you think that is? How do people continue he's to a mob guy?
2: Yeah, <laughs> uh, I know
1: that that's for sure. But why do people keep getting into that inner loop and knowing that Donald Trump is eventually going to screw everyone he contacts? So eventually, you know, they're going to end up well, that, like Michael Cohen was.
2: That's the secret to, you know, the con artist. You uh, You get out of town before people figure out you got con.
1: <laughs> I guess so. Holy shit. Yeah did you keep your press credentials? Is that something you're still going to take advantage of getting into the white house? I'm I'm,
2: I'm still in the white house. Uh, You know, I've been limiting myself to once a week because of COVID, but I'm still there.
1: So what do you do? How do you identify yourself there? You say Brian Karam from salon. Is that how it goes? Or are you just independent?
2: I mean, I, you know, uh, now it's just freelancing and um, I'm there as a, you know, writing a column for salon. That's who credentialed me. So that's, pretty
1: much all I do. When did you sit down to start writing Free the Press?
2: More than a year, year and a half, almost two years ago.
1: Oh, wow. Holy shit.
2: Yeah, it was still during, it was during the Trump administration for yeah. sure, and it was, and it had a lot to do with, I mean, the reason why we got to where we got was uh, how we got Donald Trump
0: mm-hmm.
2: was um, you know, the story. I didn't want to do a, another Trump book. There, there have been tons of those done, <laughs> but I didn't want to I I did want to address the problems of the press and that's where we are now. So are we starting? Is this part of your, yeah, this is
1: all we're, we're underway. If if that's all okay to be on the record, we're, we're fine from the the word go. Um, Okay. Yeah. I noticed Sam Donaldson wrote the forward to your book. Um, How's he doing? Is he happy to be retired from the news media at this point? I imagine Uh, he is.
2: Well, uh, he's an old friend and, uh, I say old because I'm old,
0: yeah.
1: uh,
2: he, but he's a really good guy. And, um, I think he's happy to be out of the game because it's changed so much. Yeah. Uh, but he still keeps his, you know, he keeps his feet in a little bit. Uh-huh. And, um, like I said, he was one of my mentors, him and Helen Thomas were the first two people I met when I walked into that briefing room in 1986.
1: One of my things is this phrase, Brian bring back the gatekeepers. I mean, granted my entire career is based on the existence of the internet. I'm doing a podcast right now, you and I on the internet, but some days I feel like the only way to course correct our politics and our society at large is to shut down the internet and bring back the gatekeepers. I mean, I hate to talk like that. No, but- I disagree. I don't think I want that.
2: I, yeah. I think that,
1: I think the, um,
2: the internet actually is a good thing. I think it's. Uh, it we'll have to master it and learn it. It's still in its infancy.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Uh, honestly, it hasn't been around what a decade, maybe two. Yeah. Um. Yeah. And so it, it's it's evolving. And but there need to be as far as look, you can't get rid of the printed word.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, we need to support journalism. We need to put the rails back up so there's accountability. Yeah. We need the fairness doctrine. We need a a reporter shield law. We need to bust up media monopolies. Mm -hmm. The things that we need to do to ensure good journalism are independent of the internet. The internet is just another method of transmitting journalism, but it is, it's not, um, you have people today that don't under look, you have newsrooms without copy editors. Mm -hmm. You have, uh, yeah, I don't think you can call yourself a journalist unless you actually have a copy editor. Right. Of course, the old old joke was, you know, a journalist is just an out of work reporter. But um, <laughs> but the the truth is is there has to be checks and balances, and the internet is a great way of facilitating communication. But that doesn't mean that you you abdicate your responsibilities. You know, freedom without responsibility is merely a child whining about wanting its toy.
0: Yeah. Yeah. You
2: you have to have that accountability. So, um, you need to limit ownership. You need to make sure you label things as they are. Um, opinions should be labeled as opinions. If you're going to call yourself a reporter or if you're going to call yourself a whatever you're going to call yourself, define it and make sure that it, that at the very least, there's someone else, if you're a reporter or a journalist, someone else is looking at your copy Before it's published. Mm -hmm. And then at the same time, there's vast news deserts in this country. There are, you know, no newspapers in some places. And the consolidation in this business has ruined this business.
0: Yeah.
2: Um, And we need newspapers because here's the thing about newspapers. I can, I can hack you online. I can change. It's very ephemeral online, television, radio, all are very ephemeral, very Mm -hmm. changeable. Yeah. But once you print something on paper, it's not, you cannot hack it.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: You cannot change it. You can't, you can quote it, but you cannot create something new, wholly new from it. And therefore it's concrete. It's finite. And in a court of law, that trumps, I hate using that word, that <laughs> triumphs over everything. Yeah. So that's, that's the key. Journalism is uh, necessary, newspapers are necessary, and we need to reinvest in them.
1: You mentioned the Fairness Doctrine a second ago. Uh, How do you, and I I know some possible answers to this question, but just to pick your brain on this, how do you get the government to implement another Fairness Doctrine um, without a specific Public interest, where you know the fairness doctrine came about because you had broadcasters using public airwaves. So consequently, the FCC uh, regulates those public airwaves for the sake of the people. Where do where does the fairness doctrine come in now with internet based information delivery? And to what extent do you start to regulate uh, based on the fairness doctrine parameters? Uh, you're, you're talking about thousands of websites, social media, and so on. How does that How does that all fit together?
2: You're going to call yourself a journalist, or you're going to call yourself a publication, mm-hmm. then you are uh, limited by the fairness doctrine, which can easily be applied to the internet the same as it was applied to the airwaves. The same arguments yeah. used about the inability to use it on the internet was where the same arguments used to say it was, you couldn't do it on. I going to regulate the airwaves. My God, they, they're free. They're air. It's air. How do you regulate air? And right. somehow we managed to do it. Sure. Uh, the barrier to entry to being a broadcaster ha- was much higher than um, it's much lower now, but that doesn't mean you don't make the effort to try and do it and clean up a lot of the crap. So people, you know, can recognize the difference between someone just spouting out an opinion and someone who's actually doing the work of vetting facts. Yeah, and That's what we really, you know, what we really need. I, it, people call themselves, you know, I, I don't even like the, 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 the uh, panel shows on network televisions are, are, are on, you know, <laughs> they come out and they call shit. You know, this is a journalist is doing this. No, it's a panel show. Sure. It, it's, it's not reporting. It's three guys or three women or three a men and women and an anchor, and you're you're arguing for two minutes and nothing's solved. That's just entertainment. I I, I mean it's masochistic mm-hmm. entertainment to me, but and and I've been on the show, so I I don't find that to be journalism. Journalism is the pre- presentation of vetted facts, and and we need more of that, and we need it locally. We definitely there, are, like I said, vast news deserts we need to concentrate on local journalism yeah. and making local newspapers, local radio stations, local uh, websites that produce news viable. And it's journalism is incompatible with capitalism and yet it is tethered to it. And when journalism is tethered to capitalism, what you get is in entertainment or mm-hmm. infotainment as they call it, because yeah. You know, you, you've got to sell. And what sells? Lowest common denominator sells. People love arguing. People love all that shit. Mm-hmm. And so it's put out there and they argue and they go, wow, journalism isn't the same as it used to be. Well, no kidding. <laughs>
0: it's, it's,
2: it's, it. And it, it there was never a golden age. I don't even want to go there. I mean, people go, oh, the golden age of journalism. Uh, I haven't seen one. Yeah. I, I'd yeah. like to see one, but mm-hmm. uh, at least at the very least, we ought to have you know, uh, look, you're not going to get better journalism until uh, paychecks get better to yeah. begin with. I, if you're smart, you're out of journalism because you can make more money elsewhere. Mm-hmm. That's just all there is to it. And, you know, the first day I walked into the uh, White House press briefing room, you know, it was Sam Donaldson who said, Brian, take a look at that first row right there in the Brady briefing room. And uh, and he said that first row, seven. there's probably 200 years of experience there. Um, And today there's maybe 80. I mean, institutional knowledge is lacking. There are people who have no experience that go to work at the White House. I mean, their first job out of college is working in the White House. That's a thrill if you're fresh out of college, but you're not doing yourself or anybody else any favors because you don't know how to cover a beat. Mm-hmm. And you become so enamored of the, the the blandishments that are offered you, you know wow, you get to ride on Air Force One. Wow. You get to be next to the president. Mm-hmm. Wow. I don't want to anger these people because I'll be cut out. And you, what you need are people that have a lot of experience, who have done it, who can tell, you know, the politicians to kiss their ass and know that at the same time, the politicians have to come. We, we hold the cards, mm-hmm. not the politicians. They represent us. They're on our payroll. They should not be controlling the message. We need to frame uh, the arguments better than we do. We don't frame the issues at all. And we've lost that ability. And until we pick that up, journalism is going to be in a a bad place.
1: Yeah, I find a lot of print journalists, a lot of print publications get a bad rap because I think a lot of people observing – tend to lump them in with what's happening on cable news. A lot of times when we talk about the media, in big terms, the media, that what we're really talking about is cable news because that's the most visible. So when you're right. there in the White House press room and you got you, know you a bunch of other print guys uh, who've been doing this for years, and then you've also got cable in there and obviously internet and so on, but primarily the two biggies, print, cable, do you find uh, that you guys are resenting cable news to an extent because because of that misperception? Yeah.
2: I don't give a shit. I (laughs) count me as one of the guys who just don't give a shit. Um, (laughs) All Right. We'll do. (laughs) I'm, you know, they're there. I'm there. I'm doing my job. They're doing their job. Uh, There are people that get upset all the time. Why do we get, why do they get more attention? Yeah. Well, I'm not that guy. Mm. I, I don't give a crap. Um, people will pay attention to what they want to pay attention to. I cannot control that. Yeah. All I can control is me
0: mm-hmm.
2: and how I react and what I do. So I try to stay focused on that and the rest of it's that's up to someone besides me. I, I like to have as large an audience as anyone wants to have, Yeah. but yeah. I accept the fact that there, that's not always going to be the case, but I will not sacrifice my independence for a larger audience Mm -hmm. they can kiss my big fat ass i'm there to do a job
1: (laughs) Yeah. And I mean, I'm not even in it. I, I once was, I was, you know, in print for a while early in my career. But the fact of the matter is, is that I see that bad rap that print tends to get because most people are confusing cable news with print and and, and not seeing the solid journalism that's happening in print far more often than what we see in a usual day part on cable news.
2: Well, maybe, but I still think that there's far less real good reporting today than there was 30 years ago. And I think that uh, there are print people that are just as bad as any of the worst of,
0: uh, (laughs) of,
2: of the broadcasters. And I think there are some broadcasters that are as good, if not better than some of the print people. I don't think being a print person makes you better. I think what it does, what a print person makes you is sometimes a little more um, thorough word I want to use. Mm uh
1: elitist. <laughs> <laughs> okay, wow. All right. That can certainly work. I enough. work
2: for print. I'm uh-huh. the light and torch of journalism. <laughs> I get tired of that crap too. You're just another schlub in the newsroom with me. Get over yourself. And sometimes they have less experience than the broadcasters.
1: So you're a uniter, not a divider, Brian.
2: Well yeah, I'd like to think that uh we're all doing our job we're all there for the same reason some are better and some are worse and uh Mm -hmm. you got to accept the good with the bad and and you know um when i was first in that briefing room it was those people who had been there the longest helped out those who hadn't yeah so and so i try to pass that along pay it forward like they did for me Mm -hmm. and you know help out when i can and Uh, point out bullshit when I smell it and, uh, and, you know, and and go from there.
1: That's what makes you great. You've got this repertorial swagger about you. And we saw it on display, (laughs) you know, uh, on television with the the Trump administration and the trouble you got into there. And obviously, good trouble, as they used to say. (laughs) Well, I Uh,
2: like to get into good trouble.
1: (laughs) Exactly right. But, you know, I want to go back to what you were talking about with regard to paychecks a second ago. You know, we always hear about wealthy right-wing financiers pumping mountains of cash into TV and print news. In fact, Sinclair has been buying up local affiliates. Hedge funds are buying up uh, local papers and firing the staff. I talked to Heather Timmons from Reuters about that a few weeks ago. Uh, So on and so on and so on. Why don't normals do the same thing, use the same strategy? Wealthy normals, I'm not talking about right-wingers, I'm talking. there's got to be wealthy people who are not Trump supporters, who could pump more money into the news media, whether it is television, internet, or print. Why doesn't that happen? Why can we not compete with Sinclair and all these people that are just decimating local news?
2: Well, some of that is because of the government, and some of that is because big business, and mm-hmm. a lot of it is bullshit. Mm-hmm. Um, those people at Sinclair are not paid any better than the people that are working for you know non Sinclair stations. Yeah. The, the fact of the matter is, I've, wa- I've I've interviewed people, you know, reporters that are making forty grand a year, living and working in Washington D.C. covering the White House. Wow, that's barely minimum wage, <laughs> yeah. man. That's I mean. You're not going to get very good people doing it. So all this money that they're supposedly throwing at, they're not throwing it at the reporters. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's, yeah. The reporters are not paid well. Now there are some people, obviously, who are. You know the 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 talking heads, the anchors, the the names above the fold. Those people get paid. But the, the people who really put together journalism are the photographers. And and this is you know everyone that really does the job. The photographers, the engineers, the producers, the on uh, uh, assistants, and the un- and the lowliest reporters that are sitting at that damn pool desk in the White House, <laughs> having to pump out everything that the White House sends them. Those pool those people are really working their ass off, and they're not getting paid. Dick. Yeah. So that's. I mean, I, I there is no. You know, I you know this pumping money into it. All they're doing is opening up a, a business and going hey, you know what let's get our side of the story out there yeah, yeah and there are plenty of people who want to work now some of them I wouldn't want to hire and that goes mm. for those on the far left the far right and you know and the AP there's there's people I wouldn't hire yeah. because they don't know what the hell they're doing I mean I mentored a lot of reporters I I've, I've run newspapers I know what you need and you need to be curious. You need to be intelligent. You need to be able to understand bullshit and you need to be able to walk. I, I, my kingdom for a reporter that knows their way around a city hall or a county (laughs) clerk's office. Those people are invaluable. You know, the, the idiot who can sit there and, and talk on camera or sit and dictate what, you know, the press secretary tell secretary tells them, well, those are a dime a dozen. Mm-hmm. And quite honestly, I don't give a shit about that. I want someone who will challenge authority, someone who will question authority, someone who will hold truth to power. And, and you know, there's journalism has always attracted those type of people. The challenge is in keeping them. Mm-hmm. And if you don't pay them, you don't keep them. And if you eliminate the jobs, you don't keep them. I walked into the you know the White House briefing room one day and someone asked me for directions. Uh, and I was going, well that you this is upstairs, this is there, you go in the back for that. You know, I was telling them where the bathrooms were essentially and mm. and where the offices were. And I said, So are are you an intern? <laughs> and I won't I, I won't say what network they were with, but they go, No, no, I'm a senior producer. I go, oh Jesus. Well, how, <laughs> I go, how old are you? And they said, twenty-three. And I said, Well, how old's a junior producer? Twelve? I mean What the fuck? Excuse me, but I mean, you know. Wow. But they're cheap. And it used to be, look, it used to be you needed five years of experience before you could go anywhere. Now they'll hire you straight out of college. And after five years, mostly they'll boot your ass out because now you need more money Mm -hmm. and they want to hire you cheaper. That's the problem in journalism.
1: All right, hold it, don't nobody move. Today's show is sponsored by BetterHelp. If there's something depressing you, getting you down, you can't quite shake it, something interfering with your happiness, don't worry about it. I've got the solution for you. BetterHelp. It's not a crisis line. It's not self-help. It's professional therapy done securely over the Internet. Telehealth. For mental health, better help is going to match you with your own licensed professional therapist in under 48 hours. You can log into your account anytime you want, send a message to your therapist and get a timely and thoughtful response. Plus, you can schedule weekly video or phone sessions so you're not ever going to have to leave your house and risk getting COVID. BetterHelp is committed to facilitating great therapeutic matches, so they make it easy and free to change therapists if needed. It's more affordable than traditional offline therapy, and financial aid is available. BetterHelp wants you to start living a happier life today. Visit BetterHelp.com sesca that's That's BetterHelp.com slash C-E-S-C-A. Link in the description under this episode at bobseska.com and join over 2 million people who've taken charge of their mental health with the help of an experienced professional. In fact, so many people have been using BetterHelp that they're recruiting additional therapists in all 50 states. And here's your special offer as a Bob Seska Show listener. Get 10% off your first month at betterhelp.com slash seska. That's betterhelp.com slash seska. Thank you. The Bob Seska Show. You know, in your book, you uh, cover a lot of press history, which is invaluable to see and read, and, and certainly have it documented in something that's coming out now. Um, during the Bush 43 administration, I remember yep. the White House stripping Helen Thomas of her front row seat and her regular tradition of saying thank you, Mr. President, after a press conference, that was the first huge warning sign and a paradigm shift from just criticizing the press, which would often happen from the, the press room, to outright silencing reporters. Is that kind of is that does that factor into this uh, uh, collapse that we've seen? Yeah, where, but I,
2: yeah. I, I go for I go back farther than that. Um Like I said, every president since Reagan, but you really go back to Nixon and his Southern strategy and Roger Ailes, that asshole who, uh, you know, uh, Nixon employed to create his own, you know, he, he didn't like the traditional mainstream media and wanted to create his own. And, and Ailes took that and, you know, now we have Fox news, but it was Reagan who stripped away ownership rules, Mm -hmm. got rid of the fairness doctrine. Then there was Bush. There, then there was, clinton then there was you know bush and then there was obama all of them yeah. every president since reagan has done it reagan was the first helen thomas was uh, further down the line but it was by the time i entered look when i got into the business there were mm, 20 24 companies that owned 80 percent of what you see reader here today there's a handful five that own more than 90 percent. there are small there's twice the number of people on the planet as on the day I was born and half the number of reporters mm-hmm. this has been going on for 40 years it's and it it's actually started with Reagan he was the one who first imp, nixon dreamt of it yeah. reagan implemented it set the table that led to the asshole trump everything that every
1: mm-hmm.
2: president did since since yeah reagan has led us to where we are today.
1: Oh, yeah. There's a metric ton of disinformation and revisionist history surrounding the Reagan legacy, right?
2: Jesus, there are people who swear to God today that he was the best president ever. And I just want to spit <laughs> yeah. in their face when they say it. Right, Ronald right. Reagan. Ronald Reagan was, without a doubt, one of the worst presidents that this country ever elected. You know, he was an actor. He was a con man. Mm -hmm. He conned a lot of people into thinking he was a man of the people. He went after unions. He went after education. He went after the press. He ruined this country. Ronald Reagan is is the source and is the piece of shit that gave us what we have today in American politics. Mm -hmm. And we elected him. And there are people today that still love him. And as far as I'm concerned, those people are idiots.
1: That's exactly right. But it seems like the news media has a unique platform insofar as, I mean, if anyone has the ability to push back against villains like Ronald Reagan, villains like Donald Trump, why don't you, though?
2: That's no different than, what, you know, H.L. Mencken said years ago there's nothing easier than to fool a reporter, <laughs> and that most people who come into Washington, you know, come in eager to get the news and leave Ten Horn Statesman because basically, they get they get blindsided by the access. It's that yeah. access game. They hold it out in front of you like a carrot and a stick, and people fall for it. So pretty soon, you're not you're not writing the deep dark secrets about Washington.
1: You're part of the problem. How do you remove the profit motive from all of this? It seems like that's the centerpiece of all of this. I mean, access is driven by success, careerism. You know, gaining an upper hand on your competitors and so on. I, I don't understand how you can um solve some of these problems without stripping that layer of you know sort of capitalistic competition out of journalism do you understand what i'm saying it's-
2: yeah and i'd yeah. say uh- in answer to that, read the book. It's called Free the Press, and I cover it in 320 <laughs> okay. pages, and I'll tell you exactly how you fix that problem. Yeah, okay. if got I tell you here, they won't buy the book. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> I
1: should have said spoiler warning along those lines. Yeah. <laughs> was there a uh, moment, Brian, uh, or series events that ignited your interest in journalism? I mean, what, what got you started in all this?
2: Uh, honestly, it's going to have to be, um, to me, it was without a doubt, the newspaper where I grew up, uh, the Courier Journal in Louisville Times, mm-hmm. and um, no, uh, in Kentucky. Oh, in and, Louisville. And, okay, yeah, yeah, and, and uh, Barry Bingham Senior's uh, editor's notebook or reporter's, and I forget what it was. I, I named one of my own columns when I was running newspapers after it, uh, a reporter's notebook. Um, his independence, his uh, his, his stature. The fact that when you walked into his newspaper there was a sign that over it uh, attributable to his father said i've always uh, looked at these newspapers as a public trust and have endeavored to run them that way it made you feel like there was something you were you were working for the greater good Mm -hmm. and growing up i wanted to communicate you know my my uncles i come from a family of lawyers they said hey go to law school I said hey but no and uh, decided <laughs> that I wanted to write for a living and see the world on somebody else's nickel and journalism was the best way to do it and I I like having a front row seated history I, I like uh, you know reporting what has happened and disseminating information to my fellow citizens it's always been a, an attraction to me I find it to be a noble calling and I wish more people of a character went to it.
1: Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, when I was uh, maybe 14 years old, I, uh, I announced to my parents that I wanted to go on the radio. I said, yeah, I want to uh, be a, a DJ on the radio. And they said, well, how much does a DJ make per year? And because I had gone to the career center at my high school and printed out some information, I like, oh, look, right here on this page, it says uh, radio DJs make $15,000 a year, and I can easily live on $15,000 a year. And my parents said... What are you even talking about? You cannot live on fifteen thousand dollars a year. What, were your parents supportive of your uh, your goals as far as journalism goes, and did they uh, encourage you as you went? Sure,
2: I, my parents were very supportive. Yeah. Um, my mom was an actress and a local television. Uh, she did a morning show. Oh wow! Um, my my father was uh, like I said, from a family of lawyers and sold cars for a living. I mean. Well, what I remember most growing up was covering uh, the Francis Jones Mills trial in Kentucky in hmm. 1984, I think it was. And uh, AP reporter came over to me and said, Brian, are you related to Pete or David Karam? And I said, well, yeah, David, who was at the time, the, uh, the uh, Senate majority leader and Pete, who was a circuit court judge, uh, chief justice of circuit court, were both my uncles. Hmm. And I said, yeah, those are my uncles. And I said, uh, so what's your dad do for a living? I said, well, he sells cars. And she goes, let me get this straight. You have two reporters. You have two uncles who are uh, lawyers uh, and a judge and a state rep. And your your dad sells cars for a living and you're a reporter. And I go, yeah. And she goes, couldn't anybody in your family find an honest way to make a living? <laughs> and at that point in time, I knew I was in.
1: <laughs> right. Right. Uh, was your most difficult beat the Trump White House? Is that the uh, the most trouble you've had uh, as part of your career? Or uh, has, has there been some other thing that's been... I can't imagine anything that'd be worse than that.
2: I, I mean, I got thrown in jail for uh, keeping a confidential source confidential. Uh, right. I've covered wars. I've covered insurrections. I, I And for America's Most Wanted, I chased... Uh, killers around the country for years wow. and had to interview parents of dead kids. Yeah. To me, the, the, the hardest thing I ever did was interviewing parents of dead children and uh, Donald Trump. I know, you know, he would love to be that, that Mark, that high water Mark of the hardest thing I ever covered, but he was a piece of shit
0: yeah. and
2: I've run across a lots of shit in my life. And he's just another piece of excrement. The The hardest thing I've ever had to do as a reporter is to sit down with a parent who's lost a child.
1: How do you even prepare for something like that? How do you, you how don't. do you do that?
2: You don't. And one of the toughest times I ever had as a young parent, I covered a traffic accident one time where a, a eight month old uh, boy was killed in a traffic accident. And I rolled up on it uh, with camera it was for local television at the time. And, mm-hmm. uh, I saw this little pink toe sticking out of this, out of, out of this, you know, car seat. And, um, they had a sheet over this baby and my son was the exact same age. And I remember calling my wife in tears at home, telling her, whatever you do, don't leave the house today. I, I couldn't, I couldn't imagine what it would be like to lose a child. Yeah. And, um, there's no way to prepare for it. There's no way to ease your way into it. Some people are going to respond and want to respond, uh, they need to talk and others. I literally one woman I interviewed who lost her daughter was, was literally pulling her hair out as I interviewed her. And, and those things I, I I, I'll take with me forever. I have interviewed, I, I've watched as a, as a spot news reporter, I saw probably two dozen people take their last breath on this planet, rolling up on news events. I'll never forget those. Those are hard. Watching someone die is not easy, yeah, yeah. and uh, so Donald Trump, not a blip in the road compared to that.
1: Good for you, man. That's a great attitude to have. And in fact, does it callous you when you see something like that uh, enough times? To, like, for example, surgeons, doctors have kind of this objective distance from the sick people that they're treating. When you're covering a fucking horrible news story like a child's death do you eventually have to wall yourself off emotionally from what you're covering?
2: I I think sometimes you do. And sometimes it's real hard to, and Mm -hmm. I've never been successful. I I covered a, there's a woman, uh, there was a kid who was living in my neighborhood in San Antonio, Texas, Heidi Seaman, little girl that crossed the street with a friend of hers and was never seen again. And uh, three weeks later, they found her, her body, decayed in in, the Texas Hill country, 35, 40 miles away. I had to break that news on the air when I found out and I, I lost it. I I did. I cried. I I don't think there's any way you, you can, I I think it's best not to wall yourself off from it, but to embrace it because it's a part of life. And I think your viewers need to be, and your readers need to be informed uh, of you know, humanity, and don't treat it as a game. One of the biggest problems we have in this country today is that we treat politics as a game as a blood sport. Mm-hmm. And it isn't a game. And, and we're divisive because we treat it as us versus them. And instead of treating politics as a means by which we communicate to solve our mutual problems, we treat it as a football game, we report it as a football game. And it's not a game. You know, I'm reminded often of the, the, you know, the 1984 movie uh, uh, War Games. And at the end, you know, they're talking about global thermal nuclear war. And Joshua, the computer, goes, you know, very interesting game. The only way to win is not to play. (laughs) And, you know, that's the global thermal nuclear war is no game and neither is politics. And I only wish the American electorate was as smart as a fictional computer in a 1984 movie.
1: It seems like that's part of the design, though, to get people thinking that this is completely inconsequential. I believe that that's a, a big factor behind the election of Donald Trump. That the presidency—it's just a reality show. And people choose a winner. You can call call in this eight hundred number and choose your your favorite villain from this particular from Dancing yeah. with the Stars or whatever the fuck it is. Aren't the most popular reality show characters always the villains? By the way, so therefore it, it made perfect sense when people said, "Hey, yeah, what about?" The- that villain from the celebrity apprentice. Why don't we make him president? And it just indicated this complete uh I don't know, devaluing of the uh chief executive to the point where it just it, it can be anyone now. I mean, anyone yeah. Else.
2: Well, and I mean that and that was started by Ronald Reagan. Mm. And I'm sorry, I blame him. And yeah. I also blame, you know, the American electorate for falling for it. I mean, yeah. we and and look. You know, we complain, but how many people vote? I mean, we we think it's a great voter turnout when over 50% of the people show up to vote. Let me tell you something. If only, you know, slightly more than 50% of the people turn out to vote, that still means whoever is elected was elected by a minority Mm -hmm. of voters. Yeah, You need, for a democracy to work, you have to be involved. To be involved, you need to care. To care, you need to understand how what politicians do affect you for you to understand that you need good journalists for that to happen. You need to protect journalism. Mm -hmm. Everything goes back to the fact that we don't communicate well with each other and journalism sucks.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Has uh, has clickbait really dragged it down? I mean, has that been one of the things that has the drive to be first online with story X or story Y, how badly has that dragged down the process of being accurate. One of the, the primary things, I mean, Bob Woodward's slogan, uh, when in doubt, leave it out. That seems like we've entirely thrown that one away. Uh, well, we don't with even the goal back facts first.
2: anymore. We yeah. take all we do, are are you know, we want to be the first, mm-hmm. right. The that the zeal to be the first report has replaced the zeal to be the most accurate yeah. to report.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: And, um, That's always a part of it. I mean, you know, spot news, the first one at the, you know, the scene, the tornado, you know, and oh, I beat my competition. There's a natural desire for that. It's needed in some cases. It's not needed in others. And we don't decide real well what the differences are and when to apply them. And we have an audience. Look, this is all the American electorate's fault. I mean, we are a country of, by, and for the people, and we don't care We're too busy. We like WWE Smackdowns. We love football games. We (laughs) don't really want to think too much. We got to get the kids to school. We got to make sure they make it to soccer practice. We got to pay our bills and we're kept in a hurry. Now that's part and parcel because, you know, uh, our economic system has developed such over the last 40, 45. Look, you know, I think it's hilarious. Every time somebody says we don't need family leave. We didn't have it when I was a kid. Well, guess what? When you were a kid, it only took one of your parents to go to work to be able to keep the family fed and, you know, and clothed and pay the bills. And now it takes two. The American economic system drives people to distraction. It makes us all indentured servants. We don't ever have the time to raise our heads. And we need to, because if we don't, we end up where we are. And so you have to take the time. You have to be informed. You have to, I, I, what's wrong with going at, you know, I, I showed up at a, a local uh, event for some local politicians and I started peppering them with questions. They go, wow, no, nobody's ever shown up and asked questions before. I go, what, what do they do, just show up and cheer? I mean, I want to know what the hell you, I wanna, or, or boo. I want to know what the hell you stand for. You, you're running for city council in my city. I kind of want to know what it is you're going to do about the traffic light down the street, the pavement that needs to be paved, the schools, the hospitals, and guess what? All of those things bind people together because I guarantee you, no matter what you whether you're far left, far right, sitting in the middle, or you know, sitting on your thumb and twirling, you want to make sure that the street lights work, that the street, you know, the the stoplights are accurate. You want to make sure that the streets are paved, that you got a hospital to go to, schools to go to, and there's you know, groceries on the shelves. We all share those those needs. Mm -hmm. But because of the vast news deserts across the country, we don't have coverage on those. And all we see are national reports that divide us rather than unite us.
0: Yeah. yeah. Because
2: it doesn't, it it doesn't help to do, you know, and here's the thing, you know, some of the national story, most of the best national stories are found at local levels. Mm -hmm. For example, we did a whole investigative series here when I ran a local newspaper about, you know, traffic, light cams and now people everyone's pissed off about those who wants to pay you know it's like a driving tax mm. and then we find out that half of the fee that you pay this was locally half of the fee that you pay if you get caught at a red light camera a speeding camera half of that fee goes to a company that is a wholly owned subsidiary of another country a company that is a wholly owned subsidiary of another country a company out of state which is a wholly owned subsidiary of the ben laden group oh now, holy shit Yeah. So think about that. Yeah. Now that matters to people. Let people know how news affects them at home. You'll get the viewers, you'll get the readers. But if you want to sit there and be first and say, uh, you know, uh, for example, the spilled LCA, (laughs) which turned out to be nothing but crap, you know, it it turned out to be mostly crap. And it was even reported that way from the very beginning. You know, when it first broke, it said, these are unvetted facts. Mm -hmm. Really? Vet them. Vet them. Don't tell me rumors. You know, I I would have reporters come to me all the time that work for me and go, well, here's what I think. And I go, I don't give a shit what you think. I barely care what I think. What do you know? What is vetted factual information that you can provide to an audience that they can then use to make decisions about uh, events that affect their lives? That's what journalism does at its best. What it does is, it—it's at its worst, is to sit there and spout innuendo as fact and opinion as fact. You know, the joke used to be, you know, a reporter would walk in, rep- another reporter in the White House and go, Oh, well, what do you think about that? And then somebody would go, Well, yeah, I, I think the same thing. I agree. And then they go, and then the reporter would write, Hey, uh, according to three sources close to the White House. Well, okay, they were close to the White House. They were standing in the White House, but they were three reporters spouting their opinion. And that is one of the biggest problems of reporting. Mm -hmm. You don't have people who know, who have the experience and the wherewithal to vet facts because most of them have never worked a local beat and worked for an editor who demands that they come up. With vetted factual information,
1: absolutely, and uh, yeah, I wonder too, Brian. It seems like we're we're now in this paradigm where we're constantly struggling to retain democracy as a system in the in the United States. Should journalism shift? In terms of how it reports the news, how journalists report the news, should that change at all in uh, the goal of preserving uh, democracy or uh, pushing back against authoritarianism? How do we how do we deal with this when uh, when there is a, a two party system? where the Republican party is driving toward authoritarianism and the only team left of grown-ups to push back against that is the Democratic Party how do you remain nonpartisan and objective too. yeah
2: we have two parties in this country one has no heart and one has no head and that's that's the problem we face but here's the thing i'm going to i don't fall down on the side of either party yeah. although it will appear to because I do fall down on the side of science and vetted facts. Mm-hmm. And right now there's only one party that adheres to science and facts, and that's the democratic party. Yeah. So it appears like I will favor them as I offer an opinion in an opinion piece, but I still have my problems. And I have explained what my problems are with the democratic party and I will call them out, but there is a, here's the big difference. There's no, it's not equal. One is a party that has America's best interests at heart, mm-hmm. and the other is a bunch of freaking fascists. They are not the Republican <laughs> Party I grew up with. Yeah. Most of the people that call themselves real Republicans have left that party. You can talk to any one of them, from mm-hmm. Joe Walsh to uh, Flake to, to uh, Anthony Scarmucci to George Conway. You go in; the list goes on and on and on. They may not agree with the Democrats, but they sure don't agree with the Republicans. And for us in journalism to fail to call that out for what it is is the biggest fault I have with reporters today. This is fascist. Mm-hmm. They do not adhere to facts. They don't care about you, and they're going to use you any chance they get to increase their own power. Matt Gates, Lauren Boebert, uh, uh, Mary Marjorie Green—none of them could get a job. Outside of what they've done mm-hmm. they, I mean could they, Could you imagine Any of them working at a Walmart I don't think they could get a job there <laughs> no. that, Those people and, and Matt Gaetz should be prosecuted for what he's done So should Bobert. So should Green So should Jim Jordan So should Mitch mm-hmm. McConnell These people are fascists mm-hmm. And they do not care about you And there is no They have made people question. And, and Rand Paul is is a particular imp and minion in hell? He ought to be, you know, <laughs> that guy ought to be withheld in the lowest gates of hell, shoveling the shit of other devils, uh-huh. <laughs> because that man has done nothing but disparage a, a guy who whose only job is to try and keep us healthy. I watched that last, you know, finally, finally, you you have Dr. Fauci going after him, going, look, you 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 uh, have harassed me and my family and. You're making money off of it. And that's mm-hmm. true. And it took him a long time to get there, but, uh, Rand Paul ought to is, is, you know, you understand now why his neighbor took a shot at him, mm-hmm. uh, a yeah, punch at him <laughs> you know, him. because he's a, yeah. he's a prick. <laughs> he, he's a guy that perpetually got picked last for kickball. Yeah. You know, he was always the kid and, and he just whines about it today. Those people are an anathema to the democratic process. Mm-hmm. Now, look, you can disagree with the Democrats all you want and uh, welcome to do it, but you can't sit there and disagree with the Democrats and then claim you, as a Republican, that authoritarianism is, is democracy. Yeah. And yeah. you cannot, you cannot adhere to the big lie.
0: Mm-hmm. I
2: was there on January 6th. It was an insurrection. Look, there were people that only came there to protest misguided as they were. I, I called them, you know, like NFL fans, you know, they paint their face and, Wear no shirt and run around and scream and rant and rave. There were plenty of those there, but there were serious, hard cases. There were members of Congress who were behind it, and there were people who fell in with them. There just wasn't enough to fall in with them to, to effectively take over the Capitol, thank God. But that was an, an insurrection, and every member of Congress responsible for participating in it should be expelled indicted and prosecuted and that Mm -hmm. goes for the former president as well
1: yeah we're running late on time so i have one last question for you brian um when the december jobs numbers came out cnn in particular reported that the numbers were disappointing and that the total jobs created were the lowest of the year despite the record job growth over this past year 62 million jobs created despite the 3.9 unemployment rate When the unemployment rate hit 3.9% early in the Trump administration, though, the CNN headline was literally, quote, the economy hasn't been this good in years, unquote. I think this is where the press loses the normals, be they Democrats, never Trumpers, miscellaneous readers, who understand the dangers of aggrandizing a villain, especially when authoritarianism is on the line, where the choice is going to be this Democrat or this authoritarian fascist and this Democrat, oh, my God, what a disaster, what a failure. Oh, and this authoritarian fascist, greatest economy ever. That's the disparity that I think is driving a lot of us up the wall.
2: That's false equivalency. And that comes from, as I said before, a lack of experience and understanding what our job is. To, is
0: mm-hmm. And
2: frame. look, we don't frame the arguments anymore.
0: Yeah. We, yeah. we
2: need to frame them. We
0: mm-hmm. need
2: context. But to have that, you have to have people with experience who've been there and know. Yeah. The institutional knowledge in this profession is woefully lacking. And until we fix that and clean that up, mm. we're going to continue to have problems. Look, there, you know, inflation is up. That's a problem. But employment, unemployment is low. No. That's not a problem. You know, that's, you know what they did, and, and look. Biden even gave credit to Trump for developing the, you know, the, the you know, the former administration helped develop the vaccine and, mm-hmm. and our administration got it out. I mean, that, that, my God, you know, and that was people looked and go, well, why do you do that? Well, that was a relation of facts. And by the way, it does co-op some of those people who say, well, you know, it's just a hoax. You know, you don't have, it's just a snotch, You know, you don't have to take a vaccine. Really? Then why did the guy you back in try to get a vaccine? Mm-hmm. And we don't put that in context. Yeah. We demonize. Like Again, like I say, it's like covering a fucking sporting event. Mm -hmm. We think it's, you know, this is ahead. That's ahead. This is and that's not it. And until we understand what we really are there to do, until we have people of, of gravitas, like, you know, there's no Walter Cronkite's left. There's, you know, yeah. There, there, there's, there's not even any William Randolph Hearsts left. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, some might say thank God, but you know, <laughs> that's true. But, yeah. But nonetheless, people who knew the business, um, we don't have those. We have the people who run our business are businessmen who are used to sales and have and our, are, are part and party part of the problem
1: well hopefully your book will uh set that all straight the book is called free (laughs) free the press the death of american journalism and how to revive it link in the description to buy the book under this episode at bobseska.com good luck with the book my friend uh it's a great read and thanks so much for uh joining me today i appreciate it
2: sure glad to be
0: here
1: take it easy brian good luck later bye-bye